Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. We have plenty of action to cover this episode. We had an epic final in Barcelona, another title from the world number one Ash Barty in Stuttgart. Some unfortunate news that we will get to involving Bianca Andrescu. But first, the good news, we do have a sweet promo for all of our listeners starting up this week, and it involves the one and only Roger Federer. Yeah, that's right. We are thrilled to partner with On Running to give away a pair of the new Roger Federer center court shoe. Uh, Federer fans are going to have three chances over the next few weeks with us to win one of each of these three variations of his tennis-inspired sneaker, and On will mail the winner a pair right to their front door. And then uh, run on clouds is the tagline, which I personally love. I wish I could do that on the court myself. Uh, Mike, I know you had the chance to talk to an expert in the fields, uh, in the field of tennis shoes, uh, first and foremost, and uh, he knows all about this particular shoe as well. Yeah, who better to have on to sort of preview this for our listeners than uh, Zach Thomas, who is uh, quite the tennis uh, sensation on, on YouTube, foremost expert on tennis shoes. And uh, he gives us his take on the Federer Center Court shoe today. Uh, we'll be back after the interview to tell you exactly how you can enter to win a pair of these awesome new shoes. So stick around. You don't want to miss out. Here this week to break down, literally, the Federer Center Court shoe from on is Zach Thomas, who has an entertaining and informative YouTube channel where he tests out and tears apart tennis shoes. You can find him on Twitter at Tennis Pro Doc and on YouTube at Foot Dr. Zach. Zach, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's fun. You've got some super cool videos where you take apart various tennis shoes. Tell me, how did you get into the business of destroying tennis shoes? And uh, why don't you elaborate a little bit on, on what it is you do for our listeners who might be wondering what the heck I'm talking about here? Uh, so I'm actually a foot doctor uh, and I played tennis in college and I taught tennis through college. It's kind of how I, you know, made, that was my job. And um I was treating, so I live in the same area that I, I used to play. And so a lot of the people that used to teach me are now my patients because you know, they've been tennis players all their lives. So obviously I have foot problems. And uh, I, I was trying to convince somebody that something in their shoe just wasn't in there. They, they kept saying, no, 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 it can't be the shoe. The shoe has, it was some piece of technology that was, you know, kind of not really there. So I said, all right, fine. I went and bought a pair and I cut it open and I showed them. I said, here, look. And, um, and he, there was kind of like an aha moment there. And I started talking. And so he said, you know, you should, you know, really start doing this for people. So I started bringing cut open shoes to work to show people kind of what they should and shouldn't buy. Since I have so many tennis players in my practice and basketball players too. And uh, so then someone said, you really should put this on YouTube. So I uh, put one video on YouTube where I cut open the Stycon, that laceless tennis shoe from Adidas to kind of show how it really cinches down, what, why, why they can use one without laces. And uh, that video really blew up. And, uh, so I said, okay, well, um, there's, I guess there's a market for this. Uh, people want to see this. So, uh, I started cutting shoes open about nine months ago and now I got a whole catalog of them. The first time I watched an episode, I was like, this guy must be crazy. He's tearing <laughs> apart a perfectly good pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. How many pairs of tennis shoes do you go through a year reviewing for your YouTube channel? Let's see. I've been doing this nine months. Um, I have a hundred videos around on my channel. Half of those are probably tear down. So I'll bet you 
in a given year, I'll probably go through about 75 shoes, uh, anywhere like 60 to 75 shoes. Unbelievable. Specifically this week, we want to talk to you about on shoes and uh, their new yeah. deal with Roger Federer. Uh, we got a cool giveaway for our listeners this week with the, the center court. So uh, let's look Big at those non tennis shoes that, uh, that they're doing the lifestyle shoes inspired right. by Roger. Um, you put this pair through the gauntlet, as you said, in your review. So tell us, what did you learn about them? So there, you can tell kind of where the design came from. If you look at like some of Rogers heroes, like, you know, Rod Laver and such, um, cause those, they look exactly like the shoes that they were wearing back when, when, when that generation was in a heyday, but they have all of the on kind of signature tech in them underneath. You really can't see it from the outside. If you look at the shoe from the outside, just from the peripheral, uh, or it's profile, you can't really see it. It looks like a Stan Smith. That, that's what it looks like. It's going to be a Stan Smith. Just a little bit like, you know, with little tweaks in there. And once you turn it over, you see inside of it, it's got the cloud tech or the cloud pods. I call them cloud pods and Dawn probably hates that. Um, and then it has their speed board, which is made of Pebex, which is actually a, a different, it's not plastic. It acts like plastic, but they actually came up with a different kind of plastic, which was really interesting. And so the shoe feels more like something that has zoom air in it or boost foam or like a really high end basketball shoe, but it looks more just like a, you know, a shoe for kicking around. Um, so it's really interesting. It, it's kind of like Federer's like real minimalist style, but underneath the hood, you know, there's, there's really a lot, there's, there's actually a lot going on. There's more going on in that shoe than there are a lot of like, more expensive tennis shoes. Yeah. More than meets the eye. I mean, I, I watched the video, yeah. you ended up testing them out for a little bit of tennis, even though they're not a real mm-hmm. tennis shoe. How, how did they yeah. hold up even just hitting the ball around a bit out there? They were more comfortable than some of the shoes, uh, than some of the tennis specific shoes I've played with this year. Um, they, they're not going to do anything for a lateral movement. You know, you'll, you know, you'll roll an ankle if you try to like slide on a hard court or, you know, try to, you know, do something like Nadal does where, you know, going back and forth. Um, but if you just, if you're just hitting around or even serving and volleying, maybe you're just going straight up and down the court, they're fine. Um, and like I said, they were more comfortable to play in that than some other shoes I've tested this year. So, I, but I mean, on, kind of knows what they're doing in terms of just general shoe construction. Um, I was actually just in Disney uh, this last week and I saw more on shoes than I really thought it just like they're running and just kind of their hiking shoes. And I had really never seen on before, like here and there people like, you know, some of my more hardcore trail runners and stuff in the office would come in with them. But now I'm starting to see them more and more. Uh, and I actually have a pair of on uh, trail running shoes. And I mean, there's, there's definitely something to their technology. You have to like, you have to like that specific, that kind of shoe, but there really is something there. So, I mean, they're, you know, it's not just, um, you know, there were some people in the comments saying like, this is a gimmick, you know, this and that, but I think if you try their shoes, you know, the, the cloud tech, you know, there's, there's something to that. And so, you know, if you're looking for a shoe just to kind of kick around in, or, you know, a shoe that's going to last you a while, you know, those fetters, as long as you're not like, you know, sliding on a while, you'd like be sliding into a bar or something when you're wearing them. But, um, you know, as long as you take care of them, they'll be really comfortable for, for a really long time. Yeah, I mean, I figured there had to be something there more than them just being a Swiss company for Roger to make the mm-hmm. move over and, and adopt them yeah. as his tennis shoe. And many Federer fans obviously would love to own the actual tennis shoe uh that right. on design oh, for yeah. roger me included i've watched your video uh your other video and i'll put a link up to that for our listeners about why you suspect it isn't yet available to the public can you share right. your take on on why we can't buy the tennis shoe yet 
So um, if you want like the 10 minute version, yeah, just watch the video. I kind of break it down, but in it just kind of like for the reader's digest version, um, it, if you look at tennis shoes that are coming out in 2020 and 2021, there's one common theme. It's every shoe has like some real signature, like really flashy name type tech to it. Like, you know, the soul court boost, got the boost foam in the heel. And so, you know, that that's supposedly going to make you run faster and jump higher. Nike zoom air, you know, they, all, the on fetters are, are just a simple, very broken down minimalist shoe with one thing in mind that is speed and not breaking your ankle. Those are the only two things that shoe is designed for. It's designed exactly to Roger's foot. So if you look at the CAD cam image I put on the video and show kind of all little the you know, like kind of idiosyncrasies of Roger's foot, that's what the shoe's made for. That's what On made the shoe for. The shoe is not made for my foot. It's not made for yours or anybody else in the audience. It's made for Federer's foot. What Federer likes is not necessarily what the general public is going to like. And Federer, who can probably have seven or eight shoes at his disposal at any given time, that's fine. He can play with a really stripped down minimalist shoe. Some people might not like that because, you know, we're used to the six month durability guarantee. Um, you know, a lot of my, uh, when I do the durability tests on the shoes on the, on the channel, uh, when I'm putting my Dremel on them with that sandpaper, I mean, they're barely getting a, not even a millimeter of damage and I'm cranking down with a, a Dremel at its highest setting. Whereas I suspect those shoes as rubber is maybe a little bit softer. I'm not sure, not know for sure. But if you look at it, the tread depth on them really isn't very deep. They're in like these little diamond patterns. And so that's great for grip. Like it's like a formula one car, right? Um, those shoes are great when the track is dry and, and you want to grip corners. Yeah. That's what you want. But, um, you know, for sustained use, that shoe is going to bottom out quicker. So that, that shoe is designed for, for one thing, to be the ultimate performance shoe. And it, it just might not be the best shoe for the general public, um, especially someone like me who's like, you know, 30 pounds overweight, and I'm going to be putting a ton of pressure on that shoe. Um, and also, like, it's not really a typical on shoe. If you look at it just from the outside, it doesn't look like an on shoe. I mean, it has the same kind of streamline of an on shoe. Um, but it, it's, it's looks like a, it's like kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. They don't have the cloud tech. Uh, you, like you can't see the Pebex. I'm sure it's in there. You can't see it though. Um, so I, you know, on is, it looks like from where, where on's coming from, they're very careful of how all they present all of their shoes. They're all, they all have a very similar look to them. Even the Rogers center courts and advantages, they all have a very similar look. The Federer pros do not have that look. So, you know, they're, they're a running shoe company. Um, and so I, I don't know if they're really looking to get into the tennis space. I think Roger's a great person to wear them when he's running around and training and think people say, oh, well, if I'm going to buy a pair of running shoes. They're good enough for Federer. They're good enough for me. And I think, you know, that's how I, that's how I started buying on shoes. I saw Federer where I was like, oh, I want to try them. And so, you know, they, they got me to buy two pairs of shoes. So, uh, you know, maybe they just figure they don't need them. They don't need the tennis or they're just doing market research, you know, yeah. and Federer is I mean, not you, very visible. I just figure that's a, a cash cow waiting to happen though, because you know, so many Federer fans out there and tennis fans in general who would buy it purely mm -hmm. because of his name. And, and I want to ask before we wrap up about tennis players who are predominantly our, our listener demographic buying the wrong tennis shoes. So what are the major mistakes you see amateur tennis players make when they go to buy a tennis shoe? And what are some tips you can share with our listeners for the next time they're going to buy a new pair of tennis kicks? Um, so number one is buying a shoe and 
just buying it because of how expensive it is or the name on it. So uh, there are, you know, you got to buy a shoe that fits your foot. So people always comment in my comment section, should I go up one size on like the Nike Vapor Cage 4s because they hurt my, the side of my foot so bad? If you have to wear a shoe that's a whole size from your normal size up, typically it's going to be a lot more material on your foot. And so you're going to end up tripping more. You're going to end up being slow. It, it's people just trying to fit their foot to the shoe and, and not the other way around. Um, that, that, I, I see people wearing shoes that are too big for them almost daily uh, just because they want a certain type. They want a certain shoe because it looks cool, which I, I understand. Um, you know, I, I bought the Rotic Fig Jams every time they made a new colorway and those shoes never fit my foot and I still wore them. I just wanted, they were too narrow for my foot and I still wanted them. So I still bought them, but you look good um, in them, right? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I looked awesome. I looked like Andy and you know, whatever, <laughs> but um, yeah, I just, you know, there's, there is a, there's so many tennis shoes out there. There is one that'll fit your foot and one that'll fit your game. And uh, you don't necessarily have to buy the one that, you know, Nadal is playing with or that Osaka is playing with. Um, even though those might be good shoes and you know, Nadal's not even playing with the vapor cage fours. he's playing with two different shoes kind of sewn into one. So you can't even buy his shoe. So, uh, you know, you look on some of these, you know, retailers and they're saying, Oh, you know, Nadal is, you know, uh, he's got this new shoe outlet. That's not even a shoe. So, uh, it, I, you know, you demo rackets, we should have a better demo program for shoes, at least in my area. It's hard. It's hard to look, it's hard to go actually physically touch a tennis shoe. You have to get them online. Well, these uh, days, so, yeah, especially, yeah. You know, if you go to any retail around here, I mean, they have two shoes, maybe I know at our local Dick's, they have the gel resolution eight and like the Nike wing, like, you know, like the, the $70 um, shoe, like back from 99. So that's really all they have. And so you kind of have to buy them online, but uh, it'd be nice if we had a better demo program for shoes uh, and just more education on what wearing the wrong size shoe and the wrong fit shoe for your foot is going to do for you long-term. Cause I, I'm telling you, you know, 20, 30% of my practice is tennis players. And, and I can attribute half of their injuries to wearing wrong shoes or wearing them too long, you know, you know, tr trying to get too much use out of them. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of little things. Yeah. Well, Hey, all the more reason why uh, people should check out your YouTube videos. Again, that's foot doctor, Zach. And uh, Zach, thanks for joining us today to share some of your expertise knowledge on the shoe, uh, the, Reg the Roger Federer um, center court shoe that we're giving away this week. And I uh, look forward to uh, chatting with you again down the road, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. There you have it, uh, Mike, your interview with Zach Thomas. And uh, he's garnered quite a following on YouTube. You can find him on YouTube, Foot Doctor Zach. I'm just checking now, over 61,000 subscribers. And I guess we should also mention to listeners, like this is not a paid-for type of deal by on. So this is really just a promo uh, for people to potentially enjoy a Roger Federer shoe. Yeah, this is 100% just for our listeners to enjoy. Um, I don't have a pair of these shoes, but I'd love to get my hands on them. They look really awesome. And uh, as Zach was mentioning, there's a lot going on in this shoe once he got out the X-Acto knife and literally cut it open to see how it was built. And, and I really enjoyed his sort of play-by-play -play on what went into this shoe. Um, they, they look pretty awesome. And there's, uh, you know, some tangible stuff going on in there as well. So it sounds like they're a pretty durable shoe on top of it all. 
Yeah, looks really slick. The company itself on is uh, Swiss based, of course, uh, founded in 2010. And uh, yeah, they're no longer simply a running shoe because now they're designing uh, new Federer leisure shoes. And like, as we said, for the listeners, whoever wins this promo, there's three different options to choose from, which is uh, great as well. Yeah, and Roger's heavily involved, eh, by the way, in in this shoe. He's not just like an investor in this company, but a, a partner as well. And uh, fun fact, he lives just a half hour drive away from uh, the ON headquarters in Zurich. And, um, you know, he's wearing the Roger Pro is what it's called. And as Zach was mentioning in our interview, uh, Roger's the only one wearing this shoe because it was custom made for his foot. And ON at the moment isn't sure if they will be mass producing it or not, but you got to think it's only a matter of time before they make this one available uh, to tennis players out there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Especially when it's, it's, if anything branded with Federer's name, I think you got to get out to the public en masse. I would say, um, I think everybody's waiting for how do we enter this draw and we're going to do things a little differently this time. Yeah. So uh, you're going to send us a keyword, a code word, which we're going to give you in just a moment. Send it to us on any of our social media channels, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. Send us the code word to enter your name in the draw. And if you get it into us between now and midnight on Saturday, May 1st, you will be in contention. We'll draw the winner's name on our next podcast. And uh, I guess we should get to the word. What's the word? The word is Geneva, as in the next tournament that Roger will play on his 2021 schedule. There you go. So, uh, yeah, on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, uh, we are also there, but Twitter at Matchpoint Can. You can find us Instagram, Matchpoint Canada, Twitter, Matchpoint Canada as well. Send the code word Geneva, uh, G E N E V A. If you get the spelling wrong, I think we'll uh, cut you a break. Disqualified. (laughs) But uh, yeah, get get the code word in uh, between now and Saturday, May 1st, uh, for a chance to enter uh, and have a shot at the new Roger Federer Anshu. Would be awesome. I guarantee it. You're listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. And we got to get to some action on the men's side. I wanted to start. Um, this episode with Barcelona open in terms of the tennis talk. And I thought the final Rafael Nadal against Stefano Tsitsipas was one of the best of the year, one of the best matches of the year. And sure enough, Nadal reigns supreme again, 12th career title in Barcelona. That's ridiculous enough. Now 87 overall feels like we've, we haven't seen a a title from Nadal in, in some time, to be honest. I, I don't know. To me, when it's clay season, I just expect they're going to come at some point. And so yeah. even if it hasn't been recent, it's just around the corner. And, uh, you know, even if it isn't just around the corner, you know, at Roland Garros, uh, it's, it's, it's not a lock. And, and each year there's more competitors that are going to, you know, try to challenge and, and have a better chance at challenging, I think, as well. But nonetheless, to me, it doesn't seem that long. I mean, Roland Garros wasn't that long ago either this time around. It wasn't a full 12 months ago. Um, but yeah, to start with Nadal only seems right. And, uh, three and a half hours to get over CC pass. I mean, we can talk about Nadal, you know, on and on and on to talk about CC pass for a moment. Hey, this, this guy has come a long way to take Nadal to three hours and 34 minutes. Um, I'm liking his chances come Roland Garros this year. 
Yeah, look, I think the way he's playing right now and heading into that match against Nadal, he posted nine consecutive wins on clay, didn't drop a set in any of them. So he won the previous week, his first Masters 1000 in Monte Carlo, didn't drop a set there. He's been really, really impressive. He actually held a championship point, by the way, against Nadal in this match, kind of 4-5, 30-40. And during that point, uh, Nadal had a backhand, which actually just clipped the net cord and, and sailed over, continuing the point on. So uh, Pass a little frustrated after, afterward, kind of saying, like, I, I was two centimeters away from winning this title, which is true. He was that close, but I'm starting to push him in kind of the maybe top three, top four realm of other contenders at Roland Garros, especially given Dominic team we haven't seen play on clay yet. And Pass is playing this well. Yeah. And, and mentally speaking, you know, to me, as I like to look at players and how they sound in their post-match press conferences and, and team this year has sounded like he's not at nearly a hundred percent in terms of confidence in his abilities. CC pass on the other hand, um, it makes me think back. I mean, he's just in such a Zen state of mind. It reminds mm-hmm. me of uh, years ago, uh, American singer, Barbara Streisand called Andre Agassi a Zen master. Just he had that sort of, you know, vibe going for him and CC pass to me is also sort of a Zen master and really seems to be sort of like one with the universe. And he's one with the, the tennis gods right now, the way he's been playing. And I just think his, his belief is as high as ever. Um, look, he, he beat once again uh, Felix Oje Aliassime, a player that used to own him back in juniors and their first couple of professional matches. And, and now Pass just seems so supremely confident. So, yeah, I like you know, what I'm seeing on the court, and I really like what I'm hearing and, and sort of seeing off the court as well from him. Yeah, it's been very impressive. Um, I, I think if we probably looked at 2020 sort of being the breakout year for Andre Rublev, uh, look, Tsitsipas, you could say, had similar sort of breakouts and bigger tournaments and better results than Rublev in the past because he's an ATP finals winner. But in a way, 2021 is feeling like an additional kind of breakout season for him. You look at Australian Open semis was an amazing run and surely beating Nadal in five sets there probably gives him an extra juice of confidence when he's facing Nadal or one of the big three. I think that's so helpful. Now you win your first Masters 1000 title the previous week. Now you go finals in Barcelona. And uh, as you mentioned, some of these wins, I mean, Ojalia seems 6-3, Yannick Sinner, who's been playing incredible tennis, he beat him in straight sets. Uh, so I, I, I think the sky is the limit. For, for Stefano Tsitsipas in the years to come, I'm pretty confident he's going to be one of the few sort of winning grand slams in the future. And hey, I got a question for you. And it's uh, if Tsitsipas had beaten Nadal, mm-hmm. do you think he would have done the jump into the swimming pool with all the ball kids <laughs> around? Or is that only a Nadal thing? Like That's I'd- a good question, actually. That is a very good question because it, it almost, fe- yeah, it very much feels like a Rafa type of Spanish tradition. Like, does the winner have to be from Spain to do that? Like, it always seems like the ball boys and girls are Rafa's friend. This one was different because he jumped into the pool by himself, I assume, because of COVID-19 type of protocols. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure it does happen if Stephanos wins, and to that be made me feel that made me feel better that it was just a solo jump in the pool because every year and I think it was Blair Henley on Twitter who mentioned like she's usually worried someone's gonna drown like <laughs> what if they jump on Rafa's head yeah, what if somebody yeah. gets injured um so the solo jump less to worry about although he did do a back backflip in so momentary kind of gasp is he gonna clear the wall you know 
Yeah, this uh, this tournament in title Nadal uh, for Nadal, I, I think we should also note is is never panic too early about Rafa on clay. This was happening early on in the tournament where he took three sets to beat Ilya Ivashka, a player who's outside the top 100. Um, then he had three sets with Katie Shikori, obviously a, a former U.S. Open finalist, fantastic player. But I, th- I think people thought, you know, his road to a final would be a little more straightforward. Um it, it doesn't have to be in a straight line to recognize, like, I, I think we can all pencil in Nadal as the clear-cut favorite at Roland Garros, regardless of what happens at Madrid or in Rome. I, I think that's always going to be the case and probably until he retires, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends, Ben, like, how long does he plan on sticking around, right? Yeah. Is he going to stick around? I don't want to say past his prime, but is he going to stick around when, he, when he's merely, you know, like... Um, top top 10 like between that five and 10 range is he gonna stick around if he's if he's not you know the the big threat he is now i i don't know i i don't see him sticking around past his due date to be honest no i don't think so either and uh i I don't see that for uh for djokovic or federer either uh you mentioned felix ojaliasim who lost to Tsitsipas. uh he did get a matchup with denis shapovalov and now twice this season He's beaten Dennis and beaten him quite handily, to be honest. This one was straight sets, a uh, 6-3, 6-2. Um, so he seems to have the upper hand in that all-Canadian class, which I think we're used to being very, very competitive, uh, which is a good sign for Felix. I have a couple concerns about Shapovalov right now. He did seem to be nursing a small shoulder injury. I'm hoping that is minor. But looking back on the season as a whole right now, as we go into May, only eight and seven on the season. And there's not really a standout result yet on the calendar. So the question is, when is it coming, really? Yeah, yeah. Up to this point in the season, my take on on both our young Canadian guys is is kind of lukewarm, to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, they almost feel like they're in a bit of a holding pattern so far this this season. And, you know, we're talking about a lot of young up and coming and, and players who are establishing, establishing themselves in the top 10. And, and I would have hoped that that we would have put, you know, Dennis in that uh, realm. And it hasn't happened yet this year, really. And uh, neither Felix. So, you know, with Dennis, if I could talk about him first, I guess, for a moment, he's had several stretches in his career where he almost disappears. Mm-hmm. you know, and has several early round losses in a row. And you're kind of wondering what's going on. And then out of the blue, bang, he has a big result. And I feel like, you know, just due to past performance, we must be getting close to one of those big results with Dennis. Don't you feel like something's got to click here at some point to, to make everyone just sort of remember and recognize, oh yeah, supremely talented. This is another guy that we got to keep in the mix here towards the top 10. Yeah, definitely. Uh, And this is kind of reminding me of the conversation I would have had probably a year ago with Brad Gilbert when we had him on the podcast. And he he compared Dennis Shapovalov to almost a streak shooter in the NBA when he's running hot and can take out anybody. He's on absolute fire. And then he'll run cold for a while. And and he's kind of been that player for the past few years. Even look at last season, the win-loss record didn't really stand out as so remarkable or strong. But then you have individual amazing results like you know quarterfinals at the u.s open and uh, semifinals on clay actually in rome before the french open so i want to say it's coming we we always have that consistency conversation with Denis shop of wanting to see more of it and uh 
like we should acknowledge just a very tough draw that he did have in Barcelona. Like Felix, of course, being another great player, you win one match and then you're facing Felix Ojeda. That's very, very difficult, no doubt. But uh, I was expecting something a bit more competitive, certainly than 6-2, 6-3. And uh, as I said, I hope the shoulder issue that he did get treatment for in the second set isn't actually anything serious at all because he didn't play Monte Carlo the previous week. So I hope physically everything is okay. Yeah, absolutely. The health of our Canadian players is, is paramount and, and Lord knows we've, we've had enough injuries and, and whatnot over the past few years. And we'll talk a little bit later, about what's going on with Bianca right now as well. Um, you know, I, it's normal that we're getting impatient. And when I say we, I kind of mean like Canadian tennis fans mm-hmm. in general, Canadian tennis media members, a little impatient uh, and, and easy to kind of forget that, hey, a few years ago, just looking at the rankings and where we've got players on both the men's and the women's tour would have been a, you know, a pipe dream. So uh, we've come a long way, a little bit more patience, I think, collectively. And, uh, you know, lots of time for these, these guys, in particular, Dennis and Felix here to, to figure things out and, and still lots of the season to go as well. Yeah, certainly. And uh, Felix as well, uh, just kind of figuring out and learning on the fly this new partnership, we should say, with Tony Nadal. And uh, congrats to him because did earn that first victory with Tony Nadal in his camp and won a great match to start his tournament, beating Musetti, the young rising Italian, in three sets to start, then beats Dennis before falling to the eventual finalist, uh, uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas. Uh, We'll continue on with more ATP talk and uh, shift over to the Belgrade Open. I thought this was going to be the tournament where Novak Djokovic kind of had a quick response to the disappointment in Monte Carlo, where he lost to Dan Evans kind of looked that way for him as he comfortably coasted to the semifinals and then ran into Aslan Karatsev, uh, who took him out in a thrilling three set match. And Matteo Berrettini, your surprise titleist, he was the number two seed, but uh, first title of 2021. And this is kind of a name that like, Matteo Bertini should be on my radar at all times, but it's almost like he had slipped from my memory before I started following this tournament. Yeah, mine too. And, and just really quickly on him, because I do want to talk about Djokovic. I know you do as well, but you know, Berrettini 10th in the world, he's, he's four and one in ATP finals now, and he's won on clay several times and he's won on grass as well. And then when you throw in the fact that he made the U S open semis uh, in uh, what was that? Uh, 2019. Yep. This is a multi-surface threat. And uh, certainly this time of year on the clay, he's already proven he's more than, than capable. So it's, yeah, it's funny for someone to rank so high to kind of be not on our radar, but he certainly should be. And he's, you know, proved that and reminded us of that once again. Uh, as for Karatsev, I mean, ran into Karatsev is turning into the, uh, the, the tagline for 2021 time and, and time again. And, and for Djokovic, um, I mean, how are you feeling about Novak right now with Roland Garros uh, just about a, a month or so away? Um, how do you assess where, where he's at and how you're feeling for him? Um, as that approaches. Yeah, I I still think he's kind of searching for his knockout punch in terms of his ground strokes. I think the fighting spirit was certainly there in Belgrade. He talked about how much it helped actually playing in front of his home crowd. It was really, really firing up. So I think the motivation, all of that was there. It was actually a thrilling three-set match that he played with Karatsev. Um, the, The stat line that really stands out, which went against him, is... 23 breakpoint opportunities missed, which is a staggeringly high number. And I think normally we think of Novak Djokovic as a player who capitalizes on his opportunities on return of serve, especially because return of service is one of his absolute strengths. I think the positive, at least 
right now for Novak fans is he doesn't feel like he's playing good tennis and he's still losing like six, four in the third. He's still losing right down to the wire and pushing these matches to almost three and a half hours here with Karatsev. So I, I think probably his level against the Russian in that semifinal beats still 90% of the tour. There's clearly another level that he'll reach. I'm curious to see. I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he, gets a title in either Madrid or Rome, uh, but definitely like plenty to improve upon for him. Yeah. Madrid and Rome, there's still lots of time for him to catch fire. And uh, for me, I wonder just, you know, clearly he hasn't played a ton in, in 2021. So that's a factor. I'm sure. I also wonder on the, the mental side of things, just how much stress he's carrying with him, uh, whether it's stress from the PTPA and what they're trying to accomplish off the court that doesn't really seem to be making the progress that they would like to just stress in general from COVID in terms of his family, himself, uh, you know, the pandemic overall, and even recently, you know, again, his stance on vaccinations, he's being hounded with questions about this and, you know, he doesn't make it easy on himself either, but he carries that with him every time he steps on the court in, in some way, shape and form. Um, and even I wonder and not, you know, seriously wonder, but you know, his, his son was there to watch, mm-hmm. I think, as he mentioned for the first time, like a full match of his and, uh, you're great to have your kids watching you for me, uh, you know, on, on just such a small scale, when they come and watch my men's league hockey games, I, I get kind of butterflies seeing them up there. And I remember the first time my oldest came to watch me play, I'm a goalie on the ice and I let it eight goals and got absolutely <laughs> lit up and torched. And, and I felt this added pressure because he was up there and I didn't want, you know, dad doesn't want to look like a total tool out here. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying Djokovic worried about that, but just all that mental stuff that, maybe just contributed in in some way or maybe I'm just making excuses but you know that's that's what came to mind for me a little bit yeah that's fair I I do think in terms of media conversation Novak Djokovic I think has been treated unfairly in the past and I I think we can move on from the vaccination question with him he basically tried to put it to a halt I think his last press conference basically saying this is a personal decision of mine that I'm not going to let the media no, um, that would probably maybe raise some eyebrows for some people thinking like, well, that means he's obviously not going to get it. Uh, but I, I suppose that is a personal decision for him. I, I think you and I are, are pretty pro vaccination. I don't I necess- just got mine. I just got mine the other day. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, that's that's great news. Um, I don't have an issue with Novak uh, not taking a vaccine. I would have an issue with him talking about not taking one and encouraging others not to. That's where I would kind of draw the line personally. And he's yeah. not doing that. So that's that's not a problem for me. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about it, to be honest. I mean, I don't know. Part of me wants to see the, the big stars of the game take stances that are going to be for the, the good of the you know, the good of the many. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly I'm a firm believer. My wife's a nurse here in Toronto. I've got my vaccine. I'm looking forward to getting my second one and and doing my, my part, you know. But uh, so, yeah, part of me would like to see him take a, a firmer stance. But I think everything we've seen from him and if he seems like he's sitting on the fence, I, you know, I get the vibe that he's, he's not really into it from some of the things I've seen him say over the past year. And I do find that a little bit disappointing, but I'm trying right. to focus on, uh, you know, the tennis aspect. And uh, I mean, if that's his take at the end of the day, you, you can't force him to, to change his mind either. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, you're listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. We're on Instagram, Matchpoint Canada as well. We should shift over to the women's side. We had the Porsche Tennis Grand Prix from Stuttgart. WTA 500, nice even number is always nice to say. And our world number one, Ashley Barty, of course, the number one seed there and delivering yet again, this time on clay. This is her third title of the season, 11th overall. She beat Arena Sabalenka in the finals, a 3-6-6 love, 6-3. And uh, what's just standing out to me right now is Ash Barty, you know, there was so much conversation, especially at the front end of the 2021, especially after the Australian Open when Naomi Naomi Osaka won it is well Barty isn't the number one player why why is Barty holding on to this number one ranking to me she is absolutely playing like the number one player in the world on the WTA side which I think is great to see I feel like we kind of contributed to that because we were you know pretty high on Naomi Osaka and we still are obviously we still (laughs) are but uh, certainly just, you know, recent results from, from her kind of made it, you know, more on the forefront of our minds. Ash Barty clearly reminding all of us how damn good she is. And uh, maybe there's something to be said for taking time away from the sport, because look at both her and Bianca uh, Andrescu for different reasons. Bianca due to injuries and Ash Barty, you know, not wanting to not feeling comfortable enough to compete and travel last year with the pandemic and its sort of infancy. Uh, totally understandable and look at how both of them have come back and, and Barty hasn't missed a beat Bianca played so well in in Miami uh, maybe there's something to be said for taking some time away um, and, and then coming back and and maybe losing some of your bad habits taking some time to train and work on new things and strengthen and improve your game and things that your adversaries haven't had a chance to see in a while uh, there's very few players right now to me that are going to give Ash Barty a real run on on clay over the next month yeah, uh, probably. And look, we saw her back in action, which was great to see Simona Halep. Uh, she did she did make a semifinal here before losing to Sabalenka, which I think is a great sign, obviously, former French Open champion there. But uh, yeah, I think you're kind of hitting on the right point here. Barty had a nice post on Twitter, uh, one celebrating the title, but one uh, as well, kind of the day before when she made the final. It's a shot of her serving and with the caption, grateful to be doing what I love. And and sometimes I get the sense from some of these athletes, they take a break for a while. They take a step away, take a te- step back from the sport. And they have that, you know, greater appreciation and greater love for it when they return after a, a bit of a hiatus. I, I think that's the case uh, with Bianca, as you said, who obviously was dying to get back on court from injury. You look at how much Federer appreciated things after his long, long layoff before coming back in 2017. So Ash Barty is certainly, I, I think she's playing very carefree right now and really loose and relaxed. And, and when she's in that comfort zone, to me, her forehand is one of the absolute best in the game and then that biting backhand slice is going to be so deadly really on all surfaces but especially on clay to be able to use use that to affect is going to give a lot of opponents trouble so you look at the next stretch of play here clay court swing Barty's already won the French Open then we move to the grass where she can play very very good tennis as well uh, she's going to be you know a contender at every event she plays over the next few months here you know, when you just mentioned grass, it made me realize, oh, yeah, there's going to be a grass court season <laughs> yeah. this year. Like, there's a lot to look forward to from mm-hmm. the upcoming uh, Grand Slam, next Grand Slam on clay to a grass court season 
that, uh, yeah, we haven't had in, well, it'll be two years, right? Which is just kind of crazy to think of. Um, and then, uh, the, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but we'll see what the summer swing has in store for us. And again, fingers crossed. I know all Canadian listeners are, are hoping that the National Bank Open is something that we can enjoy here in Toronto and Montreal this year as well to go a little further down down the line. But uh, to, to finish off here, we've got some uh, Canadians to talk about. And uh, where, where did you want to start here? Do you want to go to next? Well, we should just mention uh, Layla Annie Fernandez uh, that she's moved over right at, right after kind of delivering to me, you know, credit to the whole team, of course, but to me really taking home, delivering the win for Team Canada um, at the Billie Jean King Cup in their playoff tie against Serbia. She's already headed over for a great training block at the Rafael Nadal Academy, probably a fantastic place to train and play. I am sure of that. So uh, I'll be excited to see her move into the clay. Uh, she should be competing at the Mutual Madrid Open. So uh, getting to, to see her compete in a clay court season, I feel like we haven't really had that because to me, 2020 would have been that year. We really missed that clay court season apart from the French open, which she played great at. So I, I think she is a natural clay court player. I'm looking forward to that. Then we should obviously move on to the uh, more unfortunate news regarding Bianca Andrescu. Yeah. And uh, I mean, just real quickly on Layla, Annie, before we, we move mm-hmm. on here, but uh is it me or is the Nadal family just like gathering up Canadians, you know, whether it's <laughs> Uncle Tony and Felix partnering up and now Leila Annie Fernandez training at Rafa's Academy as well. And hey, I'm all for it because I think any association with the name Nadal uh, with any of our tennis players can, can only be a good thing. But we got to keep an eye on those Spaniards because I feel like they're trying to recruit our Canadian players or something. Yeah, that, that could be possible. At least if you're going to do your training block at the Rafa Nadal Academy, pick a time when you're getting set for the clay court season that feels the most suitable, I would say. Yeah, I wouldn't do my grass court prep there. Although, you know what? <laughs> Nadal's won on every surface, so That's what am true. I talking about? Uh, back to Bianca. Really unfortunate news for someone who's had enough unfortunate news over the past couple of years. But uh, as she arrived in Madrid, tested positive upon arrival the two tests done prior to leaving for madrid were both negative for covid19 gets a positive test on arrival clearly she will not be playing in the tournament uh we wish her all the best in terms of this hopefully being a a very mild you know sort of uh occurrence of the the virus for her but just gosh my first reaction is like can't can't this woman catch a break can't pihanka have a little bit of a break at some point Yeah, it feels like uh, endless kind of bad luck in terms of Bianca and her camp really makes me think back to the front end of the season, of course, when her coach Sylvain Bruno also tested positive for COVID-19. I'm trying to take the glass half full approach here with Bianca. And that is, you know, when the news first broke that uh, the Madrid Open revealed Bianca had withdrawn. There was a lot of reaction from uh, tennis Twitter, specifically Canadian tennis Twitter being like, oh, my goodness, another injury. Oh, my goodness, this girl's career like is going to be derailed by injuries forever. It's not an injury this time. Um, it is illness. We've had a number of players. We've had a number of you know people that we know, of course, uh, get COVID-19. My glass half full approach is, yeah, it's not another injury recurring. She says she's feeling well. She's physically fine. Um, so this is merely kind of a setback, I think, in the timeline of wanting to play this tournament and being unable to. She feels like she physically can. Uh, so we're not losing a tournament based on, you know, she re-injured the foot. The leg is not well enough. The knee is problematic. I, I would say that's the positive here. And the other positive, the last time we saw her on a tennis court, she made the finals of Miami. So 
you know, I, that's going to be my lasting memory. Great tennis from her last month on the hard court. I, I'm guessing if we look at the calendar here, uh, the next kind of major tournament on the WTA side would be Rome. So I, I would assume that would be the target for Bianca and her team to try and get in and play the Italian Open. You get a big tournament, get ready for the French Open, and hopefully, you know, we we salvage a clay court season for her. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, you just hope that this passes quickly. She gets yeah. over it fast. It doesn't have a, you know, debilitating sort of effect that sets her back, you know, for very long. Um, but, uh, yeah, it would be nice if she could get in a warm-up tournament, not like the Australian open where she had to, you know, return at a slam. It would be great if she could get a little bit of, uh, sort of traction on those clay court shoes before having to play Roland Garros. Cause gosh, it has been such a long time since we've seen her on clay. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, just all the best to Bianca healthy and, uh, and see you back on the court soon. Yeah, there you go. I suppose it's been almost what two years really since we've seen her in clay on clay um, would have been French open 2019. And even so, then it didn't last long because she had to pull out of that tournament with injury. Right. That's so right. And how long since she's been healthy on clay, have we even seen that from her really as a professional WTA player? I, I don't think so. No, no. So we, we haven't had an official clay court season. She still can salvage one, as I said, and hopefully, you know, ideally she would get two tournaments, I think, before Roland Garros to make sure you're absolutely ready for, for Grand Slam tennis. Uh, this has been Matchpoint Canada, as we said at the top and, uh, you know, through our great interview that Mike had with, uh, with Zach Thomas, we have a sweet Roger Federer promo for the new on show. So listen for that code word. We can give it one more time at the end of the episode. Code word is Geneva. So send us a DM with the code word on either Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook uh, by, uh, by May 1st. And you'll have a chance to enter for a new pair of Roger Federer on shoes. Someone who's listening right now is going to end up with a pair of these sweet shoes. It could be you. Why wouldn't it be you? Get your entries in. We're looking forward to having them. And uh, we're really pumped to uh, give away the first of our three shoes this week. Do check back with us in the next couple of weeks as well. There's more of them coming, folks. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time. Later.